Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. We're doing a series on work, Uh, 87,232. Who knows what that means? What does it mean? It's the number of hours you're going to work in your life. 87,232. If you start work at the age of 18 and you finish at the age of 65 and you manage to keep a job and you manage to retire at the age of 65, good luck with that, you're going to work 87,232 hours. And here's the thing. So many times churches don't talk about work at all because we've got this kind of weird thing that God likes to talk about God stuff. He's got a whole bunch of stuff about praying, and he's got a whole bunch of stuff about reading the Bible, and he's got a whole bunch of stuff about who you shouldn't sleep with, but he's not that interested in working and the stuff that that forms, the stuff of your lives. In fact, you're going to do this probably more than you do anything else apart from sleeping in life. So you better bet that God's got something to say about it. And we're addressing this issue at the point, I think, of a perfect storm for work. And we talked last week about the fact that, uh, that the work, many people feel that their life, their work life is um, insignificant. And we're doing stuff that it doesn't matter, you know, we clean stuff and the next day it gets dirty again, or we stack stuff and someone moves the stuff, and, or we teach people things and they forget the next day and it's just so insignificant and how can my life count for anything? And we're, we're dealing with, with people who feel they're just completely insecure in their work. I mean, back in the day, you had a job for life. Back in the day, many people started apprenticed in a job, and they grew up in the job, and they retired on the job. My granddaddy was a cobbler. He learned how to make shoes, and then he he made shoes, and then he retired at the age of 75, having made shoes the whole of his life. But for most of us, we're going to have four, five, six, seven different jobs, and you just don't know whether three months down the track, you've got a job anymore whether anyone's going to employ you. There's insecurity. And thirdly, it's just incessant. I mean, I'm working right now. It just never stops. You know? you got this thing and, and your, your mobile phone thing and it's going off and you got your email thing and you got the Twitter thing and you got people can contact you the whole time and you get home from work and there's no home from work because it's constant. It's on, it's on, it's on, it's on. And holidays used to be holidays. Do you remember? No one could get hold of you. And nowadays, I said last week, I admitted last week that I'm on the iPad in the toilet on holiday. <laughs> and my wife just looks at me and goes, really? So it's just, it's just got, God's got stuff to say about work. And the stuff he's got to say about work, is, it's an image thing. Seriously. I mean, you're created in the image of God and God works. You're supposed to work. You're supposed to do something productive. God produces things. He produces really cool things, actually. (laughs) The world, for starters. (laughs) Yeah? We're supposed to produce stuff. It doesn't say anywhere that you're supposed to make a whole stack of money for it. You're just supposed to produce stuff. That's why retirement's an odd thing. We're supposed to produce things. And you know, most of the guys in the Bible had ordinary jobs. They didn't do the kind of work one day a week, preacher stuff. They had ordinary, Jesus had an ordinary job. He was a builder. 
For, for something like 20 years of his life, he's doing building. Tecton is the, is the, is the word in the Greek. He's, he's doing building. At no stage in the scriptures do we hear Jesus going, oh, this is a dead-end job. When do we get to raise the dead? He's doing a job. He's making a living. And God wants you to glorify him through what you do day to day, nine to five, when you get up in the morning. He wants you to bring glory to him. And we said all that last week. It's amazing how I can say that in like four and a half minutes when it took me 45 last week, isn't it? <laughs> we said all that last, last week. And this week I want to talk about teamwork. And I know the Irish rugby team just won and all that kind of stuff. So, Kira, thank you. <laughs> oh, you can keep doing it. It's only going to happen about once every 20 years. <laughs> so I know, that's, you know, I know that whole thing and the, the, the whole teamwork thing. So what I want to do is I want to read from um, Luke's Gospel and chapter 6. I want to take a look at how Jesus selects his team and how the teamwork works for Jesus. Because, you see, we sort of have this audacious belief that Jesus is the Son of God. And, and Jesus is the Son of God, and so he, he probably does the best job anyone's ever done. And, and, and he hands on his job to his guys, his disciples, who are probably the best team that was ever brought together. And, and, and from these kind of really humble beginnings, a few guys in a room, scared stiff, about what's going to happen, half of the Roman Empire comes to know Jesus, and lives get transformed, and this thing that some people call Christianity gets started, and, and billions of people throughout the world have come to follow Jesus and own Jesus and say, he's changed my life, and he's healed me, and he's transformed stuff, and it all started with a team. It all started with a team. So we're just going to do something incredibly practical. Probably we don't do this too often. This, this week, we're just going to look at Jesus' principles for teamwork and why he did what he did. And we're going to try and learn from the master. Are you up for that? Four of you are nodding, and the rest of you are going, I don't know, is this participation? Are we allowed to say anything? Are you up for that? There you go. Well done. So Luke's Gospel... And chapter 6, and uh, I'm going to read from verse 12. One of these days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, who he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples were there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who'd come to hear him and be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. 
Blessed are you, you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven for that's how your fathers treated the prophets. Let's just pray. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come. Come, Holy Spirit. The Lord and giver of life. Would you communicate practical truth to our hearts that would change our lives? We trust you. We trust that you're here and you have good things for us. So come, Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. So when my um, oldest daughter was about four years of age, she's now 19. I know I don't look old enough, but... Um, so she's now, she's now 19, and, uh, and when she was four years of age, her granddaddy came to her and said, Lydia, do you love your dad? And Lydia said, yes. Good answer. And uh, she said, he said, what does your dad do? He works. What does he do when he works? He preaches. Do you love your mum? Yes. What does your mum do? She works. What does she do when she works? She listens to the preacher. <laughs> if only that were true. So now, here's, here's the thing that I, am, I have always known and that I have discovered in an increasing way in recent years. Uh, my wife and I make an amazing team. We do. You know, we've just been in Ireland um, and teaching and just, just increasingly it's, it's wonderful to see how we complement each other. There's a whole bunch of stuff I'm rubbish at. Really. I know you don't believe that, but there's a whole bunch of stuff I just don't get. I don't see things. And she sees things and understands. Did you see that? No. Ah, excellent. That's good. And, and, and we work together. There's something incredible about the team. I've just been in the great church in Belfast. But you know, there's something incredibly special about you. I love to come back here because God has built a team. Do you know, wasn't that, the worship was great? Wasn't that, isn't that four of you think that's good? We give these guys a big round of applause because they're amazing. And the team good. I hope that the wealth... I hope that the welcome you receive was good. I hope the hospitality you receive is good. I hope people, because I think we've got a great team, and that's not to kind of to say how amazing we are. It's to say, you know, when team works, there is something incredible about team, and that's exactly how it should be. Why? Theologically, you are created in the image of God. God is in relationship with himself. He is team. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Eastern Orthodox uh, theologians would talk about an eternal dance. They're constantly in a relationship with one another. And therefore, you cannot fully reflect the image of God on your own. You can't. So if it's just that I preach and my wife listens to me preach, then somehow uh, uh, there's something discordant about the image of God. We get to do that together, and we get to relate together, and we get to walk together. Hi, Stephen. Have a seat. 
We get to, to, to do these things together because we are team. And that's the way in which it works, and that's how it's supposed to work. So learning how to do team in your workplace is of fundamental importance. It's not just a practical thing, it's a spiritual thing. You need to learn how to relate to other people. And you need to learn whether you're a business leader, whether you're the boss, or whether you want to be the boss, or whether you think you're never going to be the boss, this is going to be really, really important for us tonight. So if you've got a pen and a piece of paper, it would humor me, because it will make me think you're listening really hard to what I'm saying. But there are some things I just want to say this evening that I think God has laid on my heart from this passage of Scripture. The first thing is this. When you select the team, and how do you get on a team? Number one, you need to pray, which you knew I would say, but it's there in the passage. One of these days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God before he ever got his team around him. It wasn't that he just reasoned and said, you know, that guy's, you know, he's an influencer. We'll have him, and we'll, that, that, we'll, have, we'll have him as well because, you know, he gets people around him, and he looks like he's a hard worker, and he's like, no. The first thing he does is he prays. Listen, everything is spiritual. God is not just interested in your pray bits and your read the Bible bits. He's interested in your every bits. He's interested in the financial department and the graphics and the communication and the sales. He's interested in everything. And our job, our role as we cooperate with what God is doing in this world is that we've got to walk in lockstep with him. Whatever we're doing and however we're doing it, we've got to give glory to him. So why wouldn't you pray? You know, if, if, if Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life in a world that's lost its way, in a world where the truth is relative, and in the world where the life is so often a sham, why would you not engage with the king of heaven when you're making important decisions about your business? I mean, that's just stupid not to, isn't it? If he is the source of wisdom, why would you run away from the source of wisdom and expect to do wise? Would you not get on your knees and pray? Say, Lord, would you, would you show me the people that I'm supposed to build this team with? And Lord, if I'm part of wanting to be part of that team, would you show me if these are the people I want to work with? First thing is, it's a spiritual decision. You need to pray. You need to commit it to the Lord. The second thing is this. You need to ask. Go get your team. That's what Jesus did. Jesus uh, didn't uh, get some kind of committee together. He, he, he went and he got his team. Equally, go put yourself out there. Go get your team. And as you're getting your team, cast a vision that is so compelling that it's bigger than the fear that people have. I want you to be part of what I'm doing. What are you looking for when you're looking for team? You're looking for some kind of track record. These guys that you want on your team, they need to be doing something already. Peter is leading a fishing fleet. Levi's got a steady job and a social network. He's doing something. He's not hanging around, smelling bad, waiting for someone to pick him. He's doing a job, and he's demonstrating his use. And he's saying, hey, 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 pick me. I'm doing something. You know, my first job um, in, in ministry, I was associate pastor at a church, 
and I'll tell you this, I'd never told anyone at the time, I had a cracking sermon ready any given moment. I was so keen. I was waiting on the Lord. What would you like me to say, God? And I had it in my back pocket just in case the preacher fell down or something. And to be honest, there were times when I was hoping he would, just so I could get a crack at it. I was practicing. I used to practice in the mirror. When I was learning how to preach, I used to preach my sermons four or five times before I ever preached them to Nikki. She's amazing. I would preach it in the shower. When I, when I would come, I'd come into a building like this when no one else is around, and I'd preach at chairs. Because I was learning how to do what I do. Because I was waiting for my opportunity. You've got to be doing something if you want to be part of the team. Be faithful and be loyal and speak well, and people will begin to see. Ask. Go ask. Number three, you need to apprentice. And be an apprentice. Train the called, do not call the trained. It's interesting when Jesus went to call his leaders, he went to call them. He didn't write out a job description and advertise it on some kind of website. He didn't get a committee, he didn't take a congregational vote, no one did any nominations. Jesus just called them. He picked them and he still does. We, we don't make leaders, God makes leaders. We get the privilege of training leaders and encouraging leaders to develop in what they do, but God places his hand by his Holy Spirit on leaders. Jesus trained the called. These 12 were already part of his ministry and they were already serving. They're already following him and responding to him and submitting to him. And then he just starts training them. And what does Jesus do? He takes them on three years' work experience. Do you notice that? He doesn't send them off to college to have their minds fried and to make them of no practical use to anybody. He, he, he begins to talk to them and he takes them on a mission trip and he gives them three years work experience and he says, would you come around the proximity? Would you get close to me and would you look at what I do and would you imitate what I do and then would you do what I do? I'm not just going to give you a whole stack of information I'm going to imitate it. I'm going to show you why I do what I do and you're going to walk in lockstep with me and then one day you're going to be able to innovate on it because you know exactly what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. Guys, you've, if, if you are going to build a team, you've got to apprentice people. You want to build a team that is synchronized? You want to build a team that is greater than the sum of its parts? Then you open your life and you open your table and you make your team family. You open your life and you open your table and you make your team family. You expose yourself to them in all the right ways that you would use that phrase. <laughs> you expose your life to them. You, sh you show them who you are. You, see, you show them what makes you tick. You talk with them about what's going on. And you say, I want you to be apprenticed in my life. Guys, you want to get on the team? Go get yourself apprenticed. I mean, seriously, what are you sitting there for? Go find somebody who does what you want to do. And you bug them with an inch of their life until they apprentice you. You say, I want to do what you do. Would you teach me? Would you invite me into your house? Would you, would you eat with me? Can I see what's going on? Because I want to walk in lockstep with Jesus. And I think the best way to do it is to follow someone who does the things that I want to do. Apprentice. You're leading a business? Some of you are leading a business. 
You want people who passionately get your DNA. That's what you want. You want people who get you who understand what you're all about, who, get, who, get, who can have the opportunity to be family, the competent stuff you can train up. You can help them get that stuff. You can send them on courses. You can get them to listen to TED Talks. You can, whatever it is, you can get them the competent stuff, but it's the chemistry and the, the character stuff, the stuff that, 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 about getting your DNA. Go ask them. Go apprentice them. It starts with a heart call. Fourth thing is this. You need variety. Now listen very carefully. Weird teams are the best teams. Do you know that? I mean, weird teams are the best teams. They're fun. They complement one another. And they create great conflict. Weird teams are the best teams. Get a weird bunch of people who are really, really different. Because if everyone looks the same and watches the same TV shows and listens to the same bands and wears the same clothes and uses the same colloquialism, if everything they've got is the same, you're in a cult. Get out quickly. Because it's not going to go good for you at the end. Just saying. But Jesus' team is a weird team. Have you noticed that? John is young. Peter and the other guys are older. John apparently is single. Some of the guys are married and got kids. Eleven of them are, are, are country boys. One's from the city. Uh, the, the, in, in this team, there's a guy called Simon the Zealot. And we read about Simon the Zealot in Luke 6. Simon the Zealot basically means he hates the Roman government. He is some kind of, I don't know, hipster, punk rock, anarchist kind of dude. He's just that guy, you know? He wants to blow up stuff. That's what he is. He's a terrorist. That's what he just done. You know, I, I want, I'm going to get rid of the Romans. I'm going to blow up stuff. Now, now, Simon the Zealot is in the same team as Matthew the tax collector. Matthew the tax collector works for the Roman government that Simon the Zealot wants to blow up. So it's like it's a weird team because you've got a guy with a gun and you've got a guy who tucks his shirt in. You know what I mean? You've just got this stuff going on. It's, it's a strange thing. But weird teams work. In a weird kind of way. Some guys are fishermen, one's a tax collector, at least four guys, we don't know what they did. Some are brothers, it's just weird. Some guys have business experience, some have political experience, some have pre existing social networks and relationships. Just let me tell you, the best teams in the world are the weird teams. They really are. You need a mixture and you need a variety. You need people you're going to rub up against. You need a people where there's going to be a bit of tension because without tension, there's no creativity. Without creativity, you're going to die. You need teams that are... Well, the team is not going to function very well. I've been journeying a bit this weekend. It's just not going to work very well. You need pioneers. Otherwise, you never break through anything. You never, you never take any ground. You never see far. You never have a vision. And everyone just gets bored. And you need developers. Or you never keep anything that you want in the first place. You need, if you're going to use biblical language, you need apostles. You need people who see far, who want to break ground, who want to pioneer stuff. You need prophets because the apostles don't hear so well. They need to hear from God because they can, then they, 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 the apostles know exactly what they're going to do. And you need evangelists because evangelists speak really well about who Jesus is. But you also need pastors, otherwise no one gets cared for. And you need teachers, otherwise we all end up immature. You need a great team. That's what you need. 
a great team gets the job done and it's going to be a little bit weird. Culture in this team is vital. You need a culture of honor. It's huge, you know. I see in so many even church circles where there is no honor. Where we talk about each other and we slag each other off and we define ourselves by what we're not rather than who we are and it just sucks. You need a culture where you elevate others above yourself. We need a culture where we choose to think the best of one another even when we let each other down. We need a culture where we speak the best, where we contend for one another because we love one another. That's the kind of church I want to be part of. We fight for one another because we're in this kind of weird team thing. We need a culture of, of, of encouragement where we tell people that we love them and we're not so British that we can't do that. Do you know? I just, thanks, Alex. Do you know what we need? I, I am almost ashamed to tell you what it does to my heart and my soul when someone tells me that they love me. Honestly, I'm almost ashamed to tell you what it does to me if someone tells me I've done a good job. So why don't we just tell people if we love them, if we appreciate them, if we think they've done a great job, if we want to encourage them, can we just tell people this stuff? I want a culture of encouragement. And I want a culture of counsel and not a culture of opinion. I am sick of opinion. Do you know why? Because opinion is so self-centered and so self-generated. It's my idea. It's what I'm thinking at this precise moment. I may change my opinion tomorrow, but I'm not shy of telling you. But a culture of counsel is a culture of others-centeredness. I want us as a team to work and to function and to get the ball to the try line and to, to win. Therefore, we're going to have a culture of counsel in this place. It's got to have a team and a culture and it's going to be a little bit weird. Do you know, when it's Jesus' team, it's always a bit of a weird team. Because, you know, there's a whole bunch, I, I think around, and forgive me, I know I'm probably going to offend somebody now, but <sighs> sit down for this. Um, I, I look around at some of the people that God has brought into my life, and I think, I have nothing in common with you at all. <laughs> I really don't. We've got two legs, we stand upright, and we love Jesus. And that's enough. Do you know? There's something different between the community of God's people and almost every other community. Because almost every other community, it's to do with you think the same things or you go to the same places or you believe the same. You, know, you, 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 you are very, very similar. But there's something about the community of Jesus people where we kind of disagree about a bunch of stuff. We come from a whole bunch of different backgrounds. And it's really, really weird that we came together. But there's something about the love of Jesus that compels us to be together. And it challenges us and it rubs off on us and it changes us. And we're just a really, really weird team. But it works. Just turn and look at the people next to you. Well, I mean, weird. Really? Why? Why don't, we just, why don't we just applaud the weird team that we've got going on here? Come on. We've got a weird team. Well done. God, really weird? Oh, man. I'm going to be in trouble tonight. Number five. We're still going. Fifth um, important thing about teamwork, you've got to come under authority before you get in authority. This is really important. Let me teach this carefully. You've got to come under authority before anyone puts you in authority. 
Here in, here in Luke, um, Jesus uses two words. He uses the word disciple and he uses the word apostle. He says he took those who were disciples and he commissioned them to be apostles. Now, a disciple literally means a humble follower, servant of Jesus, someone who's following hard after Jesus. Jesus is teaching their listening. Jesus is commanding their obeying. Jesus is leading their following. In other words, they're under authority. And Jesus had loads of disciples, hundreds of them. People came to hear him. And Jesus looks amongst the ones under authority, and he puts some of them in authority. That's really important. Some people I have met love to be in authority, but not that many like to be under authority. Not that many like to have anyone who's the boss of them or telling them what to do. And they'll put up with it, but they'll rail against it and they'll slag it off. He takes those who are under authority, disciples, and he gives them a new title and a new role to expand the kingdom of God as the ambassadors of God, and he calls them apostles. Here's the big thought. Some of us bounce from church to church and job to job and ministry to ministry because we don't want to be under authority. It's not going to go well for you if that's the way you roll. You don't want to be a member, and you don't want anyone to really know you. You don't want to be held accountable for anything. And so what you do is you hang around churches like this, and you just say, feed me. Do good worship sets. Look after my children. (laughs) And and it's, do you know, honestly, I know I'm going to get in trouble for that, but, but it's not helping you. Find somewhere where you can commit. Find a job where you can say, I'm in this. Find a boss that you can honor. Say, I'm, I'm going I'm to work hard. I'm going to come under authority. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to do my job. I'm going to work very hard about it. I'm going to speak well of this place. I'm going to love on it. And, and, and then one day, someone will notice. And say, do you know what? You can lead. I've seen your faithfulness. Guys, if you're, if you're a boss here, don't promote anyone who hasn't demonstrated a willingness and a track record in being able to submit to someone. It's not going to go well for you. Don't promote anyone. Final two thoughts really quickly. Every team needs a leader. This kind of flat structure stuff, I don't see it anywhere in in Scripture. I don't see it. I don't think it's biblical. I think every team needs a leader. Jesus is clearly the leader of this team. And in earthly terms, Peter is clearly the leader of the team. Every single time you have a list of the disciples, Peter is the first person mentioned and Judas is the last person mentioned. There's no mistake in that. Peter's the leader. He's the guy that God has ordained and set up to lead the thing. You need to find who the leader is. And leadership is vital and followership is vital as well. Every team needs a leader. And, and that's crucial for us as a nation because we have a real issue around leadership. A huge crisis of leadership. We don't like people telling us how to, how to do things or what to do. But actually every team that is going to be successful needs a leader. Find a place where God is calling you. Find someone who's leading it and you honor it and you go for it. If God's calling you to leadership. Lead with humility. Lead with submission. You go for it. Final thought. Team needs an adventure. (laughs) Man, you need an adventure. Do you know, I don't think anyone starts off their working life and goes, oh, I hate 
7,232 hours. I just want to get through. You think that? Just really? If I can just retire and play golf, that would be great. 87,232 hours. I'll get one of those big things, tick them off one by one, by one every hour. Man, really? No, no, no. You, you started off thinking, I need an adventure. I know something of who I'm created to be. I have a vision of what perhaps God wants me to do. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chase after it. I'm going to run after this thing. I want an adventure. Jesus takes them straight on an adventure. He, he calls them out. He says, right now, now here are the valleys of the kingdom of God. Blessed the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. Can you imagine how exciting it would have been to be part of the gang as he starts to speak this kind of incendiary, radical stuff? says, this is what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. And then he says, now let's demonstrate the stuff. We're going to heal some people. You're going to be part of that. And then one day, not too long in the, in the future, I'm going to send you out. And you're going to heal people and do the things that I did. Only you're going to do even greater things, he says. Here comes the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to call this thing church. And it's going to be the most incredible adventure anyone has ever had. We get to be team. Guys, if you're bringing a team together, give them an adventure. If you're bringing a team together, call them up to something higher. They want to live for something. And then set them free to run with the dreams that God has placed in their hearts. Don't hold on to them. And build a team. I know that's all incredibly practical and some of it was probably helpful. Final thought is this. Do you know one of the coolest things in all the world is that the God of the universe who's here loves us so much he says, I want you to be team with me. How cool is that? I love you so much that I want you to be team with me. And the way this is going to work is that I'm going to send my son and he's going to demonstrate what I'm all about, the father's business. And as he demonstrates the father's business, he's going to draw people to himself. And as he draws people to himself, you get to be on the team. All you've got to do is say, I'm in. I'm all in. I want to be part of the enterprise. And then you get to play as well. And you get to be part of representing him and his goodness and his kingdom and his love and his grace. And you get to be part of shaping culture. And you get to be part of this eternal plan. There is no better team in all the earth than to be on his team. And as we close and you go away to build some teams and critique what I just said and think about it and have some fun and go on an adventure and fire some people and <laughs> no, don't fire anybody it's all good I want you to remember that the way to build a great team is Jesus' way and the way to build the best team is to get on Jesus' team should we pray? so Father real simply we just pray that um we pray a wheat and chaff prayer. We pray that anything that was really fleshy and of the preacher and unhelpful for us tonight, we're blown away on the wind by the Spirit of God. 
but that which was helpful for our hearts that we need to apply. Would you sink it deep and would you bug us with it? That we might be doers of your word, not just hearers of your word. Because we would represent you well in our places of work. We would honor you in the way that we deal with people. And we would see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And Father, there are some of us here who just, it's been a bit weird this evening because we're not really part of the team. (laughs) We haven't really got it, but there's something resonating in our hearts about being on God's team. So Holy Spirit, I just invite you to come and be a disturber. A shaker. When he gets in our hearts and lives and changes stuff. And would you disturb us with your grace, with your love, with your forgiveness, with your mercy, to the point when we respond to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.